Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today and thank you for tuning in with us. We live in a very special times and uh, particularly while we are um, looking into the Bible in uh, Daniel chapter 11 today, a chapter which many people will consider a bit more difficult than others. But we know that uh, God will uh, direct us, inspire us to learn the message from this chapter today. Now, this is a bit of an unusual situation today because uh, I haven't got um, too many people with me in the studio. Actually, it's only one member of the panel today with me in the studio, which I would like to welcome today, and uh, that's Shane. For the first time with us on the Bible study, Shane, welcome to this program. Thank you, Nick. And the other two members of the panel, they are via Zoom technology, which is very helpful. And I would like to welcome um, Brenton from uh, Mount Gambier. Hello, Nick, and hello, listeners. Be here again. Good to have you with us, uh, Brenton. We were thinking about this uh, when you left us and going a bit in the country, thinking how we can connect and have you on on the panel again. But look, this is the time now we are uh, doing this a little bit forced by the circumstances, but uh, yeah, it's very good to have you with us. And also, other side of the state, Helen, you're joining us also via Zoom. By Zoom, isn't modern technology amazing? As too yeah. is this chapter yeah. we're studying. Yes, now you're welcome to the program, uh, Helen. Thank you. Today, we are, yeah, it will be a little bit different. And, uh, you know, with technology, you never know uh, if we'll be cut off or uh, something may happen. But uh, we are prepared here to, um, in case of uh, anything happens, that with Shane will we'll continue to look into this uh, Bible study today from Daniel chapter um, 11. Helen, if you could uh, just lead us a bit into this uh, chapter. And um, I'll just pass it to you now, if you don't mind. Daniel 11, as we look into it, we discovered it, it is actually the longest and most detailed prophecy of the Bible. You know, it mentions through this chapter wars, persecution, suffering in connection with alliances and conflicts. And all of this can easily cause believers to retreat or just as dangerously to embrace worldly methods to advance God's work. But many Christians have fallen into either of these extremes, you know, which is very sad. But beyond this important lesson, we can learn from Daniel 11 something that is relevant and meaningful to our lives. It shows us that the powers of the world by themselves can neither thwart nor advance God's work. The truth, my friend, is of great, great practical significance. In times of personal uncertainty, which we're facing now, whether we face financial health or other crisis, we can cling firmly to God, knowing that everything is subject to his sovereignty. And even when evil is perpetrated against us, God can turn it into something good. So I want to just also start or mention that the first part of this chapter actually starts at the end of chapter 10. Brenton and Shane, did you notice that? Mm. Yes. yes. Uh, one thing I noticed yeah. that was... And Brenton. Okay, Brenton, you can yes. go now. Uh, Helen, just an interesting point about all of that. this chapter. You could almost... Um, call it um, poor old Jerusalem and Palestine caught between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies the meat in the sandwich and then later on when it moves from that phase to pagan Rome and then papal Rome 
the situation moves from the Jews as God's people to God's people worldwide and how mm-hmm. the paper system actually persecutes them. So it's a very, very interesting chapter. You remember when the Bible was put together, it was man that put the chapters in, the um, yeah. divisions. Um, yeah. Shane, can you, can you read Daniel 10, the last verse, please, for me? Daniel chapter 10, verse 21 says, But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael your prince. And I think Shane had something to to add a little bit before to your uh, comments, Helen. Yeah, with what you were saying, Helen, you're absolutely right with with Daniel 11 flowing on from chapter 10. Because really, chapter 10, 11 and 12, they're all the one vision. And I guess if you look at chapter 10, chapter 10 is like the introduction. Chapter 11 is like the body of the vision, and then chapter 12, which we'll do next week, is like the conclusion. So, yes, you're right, Helen, there, that they are all inter, inter, interwoven. All right, back to you, Helen. Okay. Um, you know, I'm beginning to think that you listened to our broadcast the other day, Shane, when we brought that in about the three chapters. Oh. But it's very true. Yes. Um, and I find it very interesting that we, if we read the first, and we've read the first, the last verse of chapter 10, it says, I... I've been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year and reign of Darius the Mede. Um, who was this talking about? Who's the I? Who was standing beside Michael? Uh, the person that was standing alongside Michael, your prince, is none other than Gabriel, the archangel that took the, or the angel rather, that took the place of Lucifer when he was cast out of the heaven. Thank you, Brenton. And it was to strengthen who? Daniel. That's exactly right. Yes, yes. And verse 2 actually says, now I'll show you the truth. I just want to draw attention that there are a few points I'd like to make from the outside. First, Daniel 11 stands in parallel overall with the previous prophetic outlines in Daniel. And I've actually got a chart here that I've drawn up, but of course you can't see it. But just basically as in chapters 2, 7, 8 and 9, which we've already gone through, um, the prophetic message extends from the days of the prophet to the end of time. It's a succession of world powers that emerge, powers that often express God's people. And third, each prophetic outline climaxes with a happy ending. And I think that's worth noting. In Daniel 2, the stone obliterates a statue. In Daniel 7, the son of man receives the kingdom. Daniel 8 and 9, the heavenly sanctuary is cleansed through the work of the Messiah. And isn't that good news for us all? That gives us all hope. But then chapter 11 follows three basic points. First, it begins with the Persian kings and discusses their fates in the time of the end when the king of the north attacks the holy mountain of God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Second, a succession of battles between the king of the north and that of the south and how they affect God's people is described. And thirdly, it concludes again with a happy ending as the king of the north faces his demise by the glorious holy mountain. You know, this is a conclusion, a positive conclusion for us that signals the end of evil and the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. Now, we can get really hung up right now as we go into this chapter because the first part of it is really dealing with with a lot of history. But, um, Brendan, could you summarise very quickly... Um, what, how this history comes about or what are they talking about at the first part of Daniel 11? I'll try and make it as succinct as I yeah. can, Helen. 
basically what's happening here is, as you've stated, the four kings of Persia are mentioned, and after that, the uh, the king that's extremely strong that's referred to as Alexander the Great, and then his kingdom is split up because he dies at the age of 32, and his kingdom is split up into four sections. Now, the two sections of his splintered kingdom that affect God's people are those directly north of Palestine stroke Israel and those directly south of it. Those south of it, one of his generals was a man by the name of Ptolemy and he became the founder of the dynasty of the Ptolemies in Egypt and Seleucus was the one who was north of there. So basically what you've got is a history of conflict between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies with poor old Israel in the middle. And uh, whatever one does or the other does seems to have an effect upon God's people. If I could just um, follow up on what Brenton was saying, because what we can see here, more detailed information about uh, yes. the prophecy of the Bible. We looked in Gen Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 7, 8 and 9 and um, talking about all these historical uh, powers but we see here in chapter 11 in details talking even though talking more about the kings of the north and the kings of the south and the conflict in between them and even arrangements uh, among them to uh, to ally and things like that but this is confirming again the um, authenticity yeah, of the, the Bible and what I'm, mm. what I'm looking into this Bible study today is to depict from this chapter 11, where are we f and fall into the picture. And I had a very brief discussion with uh, Shane uh, here in the studio before uh, saying that um, it's interesting that in Daniel chapter 11 gives you, a, if you like, a two stages here before Christ and after Christ some of the events uh, mm -hmm. you know unveiling that and I, th I think it's very important to look uh, into chapter 11 not only from uh, from chapter 11 but we need to compare that with the previous chapters and look into the whole book of Daniel to be able to understand this because sometimes we have we can fall into this danger of taking out of context some passages in the Bible. And if you are just concentrating on, on you know, some passages, you may come up with different uh, interpretation of the Word of God. Yes, just going back to what you're, we were talking about before, Nick. In Daniel 11, when you look from verse 1 to 22, that all happens B.C., mm -hmm. before Christ, and 20, verses 23 to 45 is after Christ. So there's quite two distinct periods of time. And also, just another point I'd like to make for me personally, if I used nothing else other than the Bible and history books, mm -hmm. they all um, parallel and they back each other up. Because I can read through exactly. any history book, any history book, and all these things in chapter 11, um, they're there. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Shane. Uh, Brenton uh, may want to, uh, to come back again with another point there. Just very quickly... Chapter 11 is unique in the book of Daniel. If you look at chapter 11, it is not a chapter of symbols. Mm. You do not have the beasts. You do not have the horns. You do not have all of the symbols that you find in chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9. 
Chapter 11 is a chapter without symbols. It needs to be interpreted more along the lines, as Shane has said, if you compare history with the Bible, you can actually see the fulfilment of these various things. That makes it quite unique as a chapter in Daniel. Mm. So true. Yes, I agree with you there. But sometimes, though, uh, well, I think you remember when I gave my introduction that I was talking about the comparison, Nick, between chapter 2, 7, 8 and 9. And that's that's really interesting to study. And yes, we can't have the book of Daniel with isolated chapters. We have to compare it. In regards, though, Brenton, you were mentioning Alexander the Great. Now, his name actually isn't in verse 3. Can you tell me how we know? How do you know that that's talking about Alexander? I mean, I don't believe it's hard to, to work him out, but how do we know? For people that just pick that up and read it, how do we know? Yes, I'll read the verse for you. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided towards the four kingdoms of heaven. Alexander the Great, as far as we know, conquered all the then known world. In fact, it is said that he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. And he died in Babylon at the age of 32 as he was about to try and restore Babylon to its former glory. So I think it's talking about him purely from the point of view of the amount of territory that he conquered, the amount of power that he had. He was the absolute uh, monarch of the then known world. Good answer. You know, um, when when you think of all this, and, and you can see where it talks about the dividing and all the rest of it, it just tallies so much with what we've already studied. But, you know, what can we actually learn from the assortment of names, dates, places and historical events that helps us today? And before you both jump in, all three of you, I'd just like to say that I believe that we learn that the prophecy is fulfilled as predicted by the divine messenger. God's word never fails. I totally agree with you, Shane. Compare the Bible with history. Um, go to the Bible first, but compare it with history. And that's what gave me an assurance that God is in control when I started to do that back in Daniel 2. That was a turning point in my life when I realized that it had to take a supreme being to be able to tell all the history right down to the end of time. And that gave me a really firm trust in God and the Bible. But God mm. is the Lord of history. And we make it the impression that the succession of political powers, leaders and kingdoms is propelled by the ambition of emperors, dictators and politicians of all stripes. But the Bible reveals that God is in ultimate control and will move the wheel of history according to his divine purpose, which ultimately will lead to the eradication of evil and the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. Let me tell you again, that for me, and I dare say for each one listening, is the hope that we need This the situation that we find ourselves in this world. With Christ, it's endless hope. Without him, it's a hope of need. Uh, Helen, just on what you said um, there, I think this makes a very important uh, point here, that uh, whatever happens in the history and also uh, by um, learning from the Bible is that we learn one thing for sure that God's people are in a war zone if you like a conflict because we learn about here I think Brenton you said a bit earlier that in uh, between the kings of the north and the kings of the south uh, you know uh, Israel was in the middle there and always troubled 
And that's exactly what actually the Bible is trying to, uh, to teach us, that we are in a conflict zone, that the evil is fighting against God and his people. And looking into this chapter, we learn more than, uh, you know, history is great to be, to back up, you know, uh, our understanding from the Bible. But what we learn, it's very important to know that if we are on God's side, then we are victorious because the battle is not ours. It's God who's in control. And even while we are doing this program today, there is a lot of panic around humanity in like never before in uh, i mean for sure in this uh, uh, modern times uh, there was not such a, a general yeah, just just challenges challenges and all over the world uh, nations you know and governments are just pulling together to uh, do something uh, to eradicate if it's possible uh, this coronavirus we are talking about but at the same time, the Bible tells us that these things will come across humanity in the last days. Are we now facing the fulfillment of the Bible like before? We are talking about some of those empires which uh, now through the history we know the fulfillment of God's uh, promises and uh, prophecies. Is this also something which we should be more aware of the times we live in or we just uh, keep going with our own lives and leave the Bible aside uh, thinking that's not as relevant for the times we live in? Shane, I think you have something to say here and then I will go back to Helen. Okay, yes, I'd just like to point out a little bit like what you're just saying, Nick, is this relevant for us today? And I guess when you look at chapter 10, 11 and 12, some people often say, well, why are some of the, uh, there were other dynasties around in that time, like, if, uh, I guess if you look like Aztecs and China, they were big dynasties. Um, and that why, why does the Bible, particularly in these chapters here, don't talk much about it? And I guess it comes back to God's, God's got in here and he's talking about, about these dynasties that are affecting his people because they're caught up in the middle of it. And I guess with what you're just saying before, Nick, like for us today, we're caught up too in a in a controversy that's going on. And just so, just as you were saying before too, Helen, that God's in control. And I really liked what you said there because this whole chapter or these chapters 10, 11 and 12 says to me that God is in control. So just like God was in control then, he's in control of the world today, even though it doesn't look like it at times with some of the terrible things going on. But he is in control, and we do have that assurance that he is looking after his people today. Mm. Good point, Shane. Yes, Helen, back to you now. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think you pretty well answered the question I was about to ask, why the Lord reveals ahead of time all the details about fighting each other with supremacy. You know, why does he do that? Helen, I think the important thing is here... Um, we need to get to the second part of the chapter from verse 30 down to verse 45. It's talking about this desecrating power, the king of the north, and how it, it um, does away with the daily sacrifice, uh, destroys the holy covenant. The holy covenant is Christ's death on Calvary for us. I think we need to recognise that this power is hell-bent, if I can use that term, 
on uh, replacing the work that God is doing through Jesus, our high priest in heaven, with an earthly priesthood and with an earthly method of dealing with that which is in heaven is being um, obscured totally by this power. Now, we live in a world that is largely godless. Most people do not recognize God and they do not recognize his gift of salvation. And I think it's very important for us in 2020 to realize that we have to point people back to the word of God, to the ultimate sacrifice that Christ made on Calvary. That is the only thing that will save them. Yes, good good answer, Brenton. Uh, I feel that one of the main reasons, and I think we've kind of covered this, that the wars affect God's people. You know, the Lord has announced, he said that, you know, he will talk through his prophets and he will let us know what's going to happen. And he actually announces the challenges that people will face in the years to come. And I think we need to pay attention. You know, when I first read this chapter and I thought, here we go, we're talking about these people. What do I, why do I need to, to know about the war of the Ptolemaic and Seleucid dynasties that consumed the two main divisions of Alexander's empire? But it is part of history and it's unfolding as we go on. And I agree with you, Brenton, when we get over to verse 35 and onwards, um, yes, we will see it unfolding even more. But I think just before we get there, let's just have a look. If we, if we've, we've already covered literally Daniel 11, 5 to 14. And, you know, if we go on, it talks about the Prince of the Covenant, um, would be broken. And what does that refer to? I believe the Prince of the Covenant is referring to Jesus Christ. It's referring to future. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus actually said to his disciples, this is the new covenant in my blood. And uh, he was showing them there that he was instituting a new covenant. He is the originator of that covenant because by his death, that is how the new covenant came about. The old covenant was only a type. The new covenant was the reality of Jesus himself. So this power is trying to do away with the effectiveness of Christ's sacrifice. Shane, did you want to comment? Yeah, I'll just uh, say on that how... For me personally, that gives me so much hope and credibility to the Bible because that alone, just how did anyone know that? Only a divine power could could know that, and that's so specific what it mm. did happen. And again, if we go back to our history books, that happened. Mm. It's history. Um, so you can't deny that Jesus did die, and that was already put in there. Yes. Helen, uh, a bit earlier you mentioned about the... Um uh, God's people being affected by what's going on, you know, uh, wars and uh, conflicts and uh, troubled times. What I can say here is also that we learn a lesson that if we fully give ourselves to God and trust in the Lord, He's promised us that He will pull us through. Mm. The only problem with the, even with Israel back then in those times or that they were uh, moving a bit away from uh, God's leadership, you know, God's guidance. And they were doing some things which mm. even took them in in captivity in Babylon. What I'm trying to say here that um, in the Christendom today, we, you know how the Bible says that many people will say, Lord, Lord, you know, and uh, claim that they are following uh, in the footsteps of Jesus. But are we following in the footsteps of Jesus as his 
teaching us, expecting us, as the Bible is presenting to us God's will, or are we more or less following into the tradition of man? Over the years, you know, uh, Christianity departed, you know, uh, in, from various, uh, you know, ways uh, from God's will. Our, you know, I, I know I'm saying this with um, being, you know, trying to be quite, you know, uh, sensitive and uh, understandable. But isn't this not a time in which we should, if you like, revisit our personal relationship with God like never before? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think these are a very important comment you've each made. And, and I agree, Shane, it gives us hope, doesn't it, for the future? Because God has been spot on with every one of these prophecies so we can trust him on what he says will happen in the future. And I think that's important that we remember that. We have nothing to fear for the future except we forget the way that God has led us in the past and his teachings. Mm. Okay, yeah. let's just move on. Daniel eleven twenty nine thirty nine 39 refers to a new power system. And Brenton, you actually touched on this very early. And I think it's really interesting that this actually corresponds with Daniel 8. Yes. Do you want to make a comment on that? The primary objective of this power seems to be to obscure or totally obliterate what Christ is doing in heaven as our high priest by introducing a human method of priesthood, by introducing a human method of forgiveness, and by, as I say, totally obscuring uh, what Christ did when he went back to heaven. What's so important about that today? The same method of salvation is available today as it was then. It is only through Jesus Christ. Any other method of salvation is going to ensure that you do not receive eternal life. Amen. On that, if I could uh, quickly just uh, mention something um, uh, to clarify a little bit more. Uh, We're talking about that power, uh, Brenton. In chapter 2 of Daniel, particularly looking to the image which Daniel interpreted for the king, uh, we look at those four empires. And one of the empires, you know, the Roman Empire, was running for a period of time and transforming, if you like, from a pagan empire to a, yeah, to a, to papal Rome. That's interesting yes. here, and I, I think uh, because we may look into uh, this part of the Bible, you know, in uh, chapter 11, and thinking about all sorts of powers in the world today. And many people are referring today to powers like China, Russia, United States, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. But here the Bible is consistent. Mm-hmm. It's still referring yes. to the same, the same powers as Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter mm-hmm. 7, and eight and nine was uh, revealing, yeah, and I think yeah. this is important to keep this uh, this uh, connection here, and not be tempted to move to some interpretation out of context. Very much appreciate uh, Nick your comment on that one too. Just want to have a summary of Daniel eleven twenty nine to thirty nine, and if you can help me out here, guys that we would be good. This was a new power system, and we have talked a little bit about it. 
And I want to break it down into five points. So firstly, it tells us in Daniel 11.30 that he will act in rage against the Holy Covenant. And I think, Brenton, you mentioned what it was a reference to. Can you just refresh us on that? The Holy Covenant is the covenant that uh, Christ made with his disciples and with all believers when he said this is the the covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Now, basically what's happening is this power is trying to obscure, and I think I use the word obliterate, Christ's sacrifice by basically setting up a man-made system of forgiveness and penance and all the rest of it. It's interesting that he uses the term acting in rage. It seems to indicate um, the power itself. There must be something behind the power that is motivating it. The rage that it is generating is coming from Satan because we are told that the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with her. So the rage that is being generated by this power is coming from the power behind it, namely Satan himself. Good point, Brenton. In fact, I think in the King James it mentions the word choler, C-H-O-L-E-R, and yes. in the later versions, it's brought it down to a rage. Yeah. And yeah, you're quite right. It's a reference to God's covenant of salvation, which the king opposes. Okay. Secondly, the king will produce forces that will defile the sanctuary, take away the daily sacrifices. And I think you covered that as well, Brenton. So we note in Daniel 8, the little horn casts down the foundation of God's sanctuary, takes away the daily sacrifice. And this must be understood to be a spiritual attack against Christ's ministration in the heavenly sanctuary, yes, which I totally. believe you Brenton, yeah. So thirdly, as a consequence of his attack on the sanctuary, this power places the abomination of desolation in God's temple. Now, that's a phrase where people come to me and they say, whatever is the abomination of desolation. Can we throw some light on that? Yes, you can. Um, Christ himself said it was future in Matthew chapter 24. He said that when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the place where it should not be, let the reader understand. He was referring, I believe, to Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 11. Uh, it was referring to the time when the Romans came along and destroyed um, Israel's temple, which is the last time, incidentally, that Israel has ever had a temple on this earth, despite their efforts trying to rebuild it now. And Brent, mm. Brenton, what's the connection there with um, these times we live in? And particularly, Helen, you made um, a reference to the uh, sanctuary. Uh, how, mm -hmm. that, how that uh, applies today in um, the, the power which is exercising the same authority, like in Jesus' times, Yes, and yes. Uh, how is that uh, in effect uh, today? Anybody? Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to say on that, with, without Christ's intercession for us now, then we are lost. Mm -hmm. And so to me that's saying that how important that is, and yet the devil is trying to take that away today in society. And who's uh, then uh, trying to take Jesus' place, you know, as an intercessor in between man and God, who's trying to take that place? Is that not the earth, earthly priesthood? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We can refer back to the uh, little horn in Daniel 8.13 on that one, I believe, Nick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can, I can I suggest that what you've got here is a situation where Christ's 
And, and this is where it becomes really interesting for Christians today. All Christians, without question, would agree that if we confess our sins, Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. However, there are very few Christians who actually believe that Christ is now carrying on a high priestly ministry in heaven. They do not understand the term judgment and the term uh, high priestly ministry that is going on in heaven. Very few Christians understand this. They think that once you've asked for your sins to be forgiven, that's it. Go on with life. Get on with it. Whereas we believe the scripture teaches that the heavenly sanctuary is now being cleansed. And therefore, Christ's ministry in doing that is totally obscured so that people cannot see what is actually happening in heaven now. Because they cannot see what is happening in heaven right now, they are not preparing for the fact that soon it will all be over and Christ will appear in the clouds of heaven. Therefore, they will be caught unaware. Does that make sense? Yeah, Shane. So how is Satan doing that today then so successfully? Well, modern-day Christendom is basically does not believe in a heavenly sanctuary, in a heavenly ministry, or in Christ acting as our high priest. They see that Christ died on the cross for their sins. He went back to heaven. He's now sitting at the right hand of God. The next thing we know is when he returns in the clouds of heaven. In other words, it seems that many people do not believe or do not understand that there is a work going on in the heavenly sanctuary right now and that Christ is our intercessor. Christ is our mediator. He's also our judge. All of those things Christ said himself in John chapter 3. He said that if you believe in me, you have eternal life. If you believe not in me, you are condemned already. So wouldn't it be important in 2020 to know what Christ is actually doing right now so that we can prepare ourselves to be ready to meet him? I'd like to come in there, if I may, um, in answer to Shane's question. I believe that today it's the acts of apostasy and rebellion by the little horn that is bringing about this this um, transgression of desolation. I did read um, in one commentary, and I say it with a bit of tongue-in-cheek, they were saying that this is when they brought the pig into the sanctuary and started wor- worshipping the pigs. And targets, um, <laughs> Yeah, yes, yes. Um, but... Yes, I, I see there's an awful lot of hypocrisy and rebellion in our church and we all know the little horn who is behind it because that power persecutes God's people and some of those, some people will fall, some people will be purified and it reminds us of the little horn casting down the host of some of the stars and trampling them and who is the little horn, who's behind all this? Satan. Absolutely. What I said earlier on, yes. Yeah. Because it also goes on to say the fifth king will exalt and magnify himself above every god and shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods. And that's Daniel 11.35. You know, the little horn speaks pompous words. Now, we've read that. We've read that in a previous chapter of Daniel. When we look back at Daniel 7.8 and Daniel 7.25, you know, it is important to to um, to acknowledge who is it that we're actually going to worship. Are we going to worship? And I believe this will be the issues in the end time, uh, which we're looking at now. I, I believe that um, we have a choice right now. Are we going to choose God or are we going to choose Satan? Because it's a war between God and Satan. Mm. And I don't know about how any of you feel, but I've been on both sides and I know who I want to worship. And I sincerely hope 
that um, while we have the time, because now is the day of salvation, that each one of us will make a covenant with God to follow him regardless of what happens. Before you move on. Yes, Britain. Um, I'm going to read this text from Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means. This is talking post-cross. For that day shall not come. The day it's talking about is Christ's return. Unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, or so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, if you take that back, it brings back eerie connections to Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 14. Ezekiel uh-huh. 28, verse 12 to 18, I will be like God. I will sit among, um, on the mount of the congregation. I will walk among the fiery stones. I will be like God. Um, this power is simply replicating Satan's desire, and it's now being brought out in the New Testament, and Paul says, watch out. The, the Lord will not return until these things have taken place. Excellent, Brendan. Mm. Excellent point. Thank you for sharing. All right, let's move on. Daniel eleven forty to 45. And this is the crux of the whole thing. There are phrases in here. One of them is the time of the end, and we've alluded to that. But just just in a sentence or two, tell me when does the town time of the end, where does it extend from and to, to when, from Scripture? We believe from the time that the papacy fell in 1798, that's when the time of the end began. If you study history, and I'm sure Shane has done it and the rest of us have too, you can actually find newspapers from that time who proclaimed the fall of the papacy as being permanent. They said it was dead, buried, finished. Instead of that, it revived again. But the time of the end began, it was not possible to understand these prophecies while the little horn power was persecuting. Once the little horn power was out of the way, then it was possible for Bible students to have that freedom to be able to interpret God's word and understand it without being burnt at the stake or put in prison. That's, that's so true. You know, Shane? Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to point out two things. There's, there's often two uh, phrases that are used in the Bible, like the time of the end and the end of time. So I'd just like to clarify those two. So time of the end is a period of time or a segment of time, whereas the end of time or the end of times, is the end of human history as we know it. So they're quite two distinct mm. uh, phrases. Yes. Good point, Shane. Good point. Okay, now you guys keep mentioning a king of the north and a king of the south. Now, when I first read um, Daniel um, chapter 11, I thought, well, okay, so what are they talking about? King of the north, king of the south. And, and I know that it does not, the King of the North doesn't describe a geographical location, but a spiritual enemy of God's people. But perhaps you can enlarge on that for me, one of you. Uh, I will just uh, mention a couple of things here uh, about the King of the North. This name is first uh, geographically designates the, uh, as you mentioned a bit earlier, guys, the Seleucid dynasty. Yeah, uh, but then it refers to the pagan and final papal Rome. As such, it does not describe a geographical location, but a spiritual enemies of God's people. In addition, we also uh, should note that the king of the north represents the counterfeit of the true God, who in the Bible is symbolically associated 
with north. And you, we can look that uh, in uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 14, verse 13. Also, the kings of the south, this name at first designates the uh, Ptolemaic uh, dynasty, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Brenton, in Egypt, south of the Holy Land. Egypt. Yes, but as the prophecy unfolds, it acquires a theological dimension and it's associated by the scholars with atheism. And yes. here it's very yes. interesting to, to have that uh, connection. And we can read in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 11 and verse 8, talking about this, uh, this sort of movement. Yeah. It, it, it's certainly a very interesting, this whole king of the north, king of the south, because I guess it has two dimensions to it. It has a historical one, and then it has more of a future as well, so they 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 intertwine, so they can be two different. They're mm. meaning two different things at the same time. And this, there has been a lot of talk, so many yeah. different discussions mm. on the King of the North, King of the South, what that represents um, today, and what that could represent. And again, I would like to say here that uh, we should look in the Bible when we are considering this, not just uh, quickly jump to conclusions about uh, looking who's coming from the North, who's coming from the South, and the powers in our days, because we need to. Uh, really connect with the whole prophetic period, which particularly in the book of Daniel we are dealing with. And this is important to uh, to look for the whole period. Yeah, I think it was Brenton first trying to say something, and Helen, we're getting back to you again. Before Helen gets back, let me just make a comment on the King of the North and the King of the South. The King of the North is ta- talking about the papacy. Um, and we know from what we've studied in the chapter earlier on, that the papal system obscured the heavenly sanctuary. It obscured Christ's work as our high priest. The king of the south refers to Egypt. Now, uh, it's not talking about literal Egypt. I believe it's talking about spiritual Egypt. How do I know that? Because if you go back to the book of Exodus, when God sent Moses to Pharaoh, he said, thus says the Lord God, let my people go. Pharaoh's answer was, I don't know the Lord nor will I take any notice of him. I think, um, as Shane said, if you apply these two things in the spiritual dimension, which they have to be, one obscures the ministry of Christ in heaven, and the other one says, I basically don't know God and I don't care less. Mm. Now, what we're getting from this is that the King of the North's religious system will ultimately even overwhelm the atheistic system so that there will be a form of godliness set up in this world before the Lord returns, but it will be a false one, not a true one. Mm. Mm. Very good points, uh, Brenton. Yeah, excellent points, all of you. Um, I'm just getting back to what you were saying, Shane, you know, that it mentions one place and then it can refer to something else. I believe that's what they call dual prophecy, and, and that often comes through in Scripture. Mm. It refers to something at the time, but something at another time as well. And I think we're seeing that too. But just just tell me something. What is a glorious holy mountain? It's mentioned in, in Daniel eleven forty to 45. All right, let me just um, come on that, Helen. In the Old Testament uh, times, the expression uh, referred to Zion and the capital uh, and heart of Israel, geographically located in the promised land. And uh, we 
we refer in this chapter about the you know the war in between uh, the um, kings of the north and the south and in the middle the promised land as you mentioned earlier um, uh, Brenton after the cross god's people are not longer defined along ethnic and geographical lines therefore the holy mountain must be a symbolic designation of god's people spread throughout the world So perhaps we can interpret mm. events like this. Just in a couple of points, the king of the south attack the kings of the north and um, here we can even refer to the French Revolution attempt to eradicate religion and defeat the papacy but failed. A second point, the king of the north attacked and defeats the kings of the south. The forces of religion headed by the papacy and its allies will eventually eventually overcome the forces of atheism and will form a coalition with the defeated enemy and this is interesting uh, talking about here we didn't read that uh, verse yet but uh, talking about the edom and moab uh, and the prominent people of ammon will escape uh, should we read that verse just to to come in the context He shall enter also into the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown but these shall escape out of his hand even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon Another point here that the king of the north prepares and attack the holy mountain but comes to his end the forces of evil are destroyed and God's kingdom is established and this is the the ultimate uh, culminating thing you know here that God is in control and God's kingdom will prevail and we look that back into chapter 2 where uh, the end of that uh, image you know was hit by you know that uh, rock and a big mount become a big mountain which was the kingdom of uh, God the heavenly kingdom and it's interesting the parallels here Helen just oh. just a quick one before you continue on Edom Moab and the children of Ammon if you if you're talking about those geographically they all fall within the country of Jordan because I've been there recently so it's not talking about them what i believe it's talking about is this Edom were f- uh, worshipers of false gods mm-hmm. Moab were worshipers of false gods they had a god called Chemosh that they used to offer human sacrifice to Ammon also had human sacrifice and false gods. What it's saying I believe is that some of these people at the right at the end will actually see Jesus as the Messiah, they will see him as their savior and they will come in and be part of that group who were saved when Christ returns. Can I add something to that also? Just a parallel here with um, with what you just said um, now keep in mind that this uh, tribes if you like or moab and edom where they come from, from israel they were part of israel was it originally and this is look look at this yeah. how how this can um, parallel very nicely because they apostated they were departing from uh, the true god and they were doing the things which you just mentioned um, brenton now when you look in the christendom today and you may heard about those words like uh, apostate protestantism for example or uh, you know that terminology yeah. you again here it's interesting that those people who pretended that they knew god or know god they will still act in a way which is against god and uh, 
it's amazing how uh, the um, the things are moving on right now in the world in terms of uh, Protestantism. Be- because if we look back like 500 years where this was started, you know, um, the Bible was brought back alive, you know, in in the uh, to the attention of the people. But now it seems like yeah. it's uh, going back and it's, um, uh, how to say, not not only rejecting, but it's just, yeah, moving away from those uh, important yes. uh, mm. points of the the early Reformation times. And I can see a parallel yes. here. Do you? But the good news, yes, I can. <laughs> but the good news is that some of these people will return to worshipping the true God. That's Amen. why it says that some of them will be saved. And I think we need to look at the positives. The message that uh, is going out to the world today, the three angels' message, is for the purpose of drawing people from all religions, all faiths, to the worship of the true God as the creator of heaven and earth. And as long as we're worshipping God on the Sabbath, which is his memorial of his creatorship, we are accounted as part of his true people. We are people who are moving from false worship, false gods, to the worship of the God who created us as well as redeemed us. Hmm. All right, Helen, we have about five minutes left. We may need to draw a conclusion for today's uh, study. Okay, back to you, Helen. Thank you very much, everybody. Very interesting when you, when you look at some of these names of the countries that have been mentioned, uh, Edom, Moab, and what have you. They weren't attacked by the Israelites, but it's interesting okay. when you're looking for the history of them. Okay, just just moving on. Um, the prophecy of Daniel eleven forty to forty five, I believe it depicts the final attack of the forces of evil with the intention of exterminating God's people, and I think we need to keep that in mind. But not because we need to be frightened of it at all. I want to summarise, but let me just ask if either of you gentlemen, any of you gentlemen, want to say something very short um, about how you feel about chapter eleven. I guess for me, chapter 11, it just gives me and hopefully our listeners hope. That's what it does for me. Mm. Because when you look at all the horrible things going on then and all the horrible things going on today, we have that hope. The good news is that if you read the last verse of uh, chapter 45, and he shall place uh, the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain yet he shall come to his end and shall not escape. The very next verse, which we call chapter 12, but which, as you pointed out earlier in the uh, study today, Helen, there is no, there were no chapter divisions when this was written. The very next thing says, but Michael shall now stand up. When Michael stands up to quote Shane, it is the end of time, not the time of the end. Mm. It is the end of time and God's people are about to be delivered. What do I take from this? Good news. Good news, the fact that not only does God know the future, God has already said, when Michael stands up, that's it. So we need to prepare ourselves now. And my appeal to our listeners is prepare yourselves now to meet the Lord. Because when Michael stands up, that's the end of time. From this study, you know, today we we are just going uh, backwards and forwards from the kings of the north to the kings of the south. But one important thing is that in between there is the promised land. 
And uh, what I'm trying to say here is that we have that promise again that God will prevail. God is the one who will be victorious. And we are looking towards this promised land at this time, not to an earthly promised land, but to the heavenly promised land. And that's very encouraging. Thank you. Just referring back to something you said, Brenton, the king of the north seems unstoppable, but just at the height of his military success, you were reading from verse 45 that um, while he is there, his time will suddenly run, run out. No one will help him. I believe that our study today, that God, the word of God has drawn the curtain aside. We behold above, we behold behind and through all the play and counterplay of human interest and power and passions. But behind, let's remember that behind the many battles between the rulers of the north and south, there is one great war. And I alluded to this earlier. It is the great controversy between God and Satan, which also has political and social repercussions on our earth. The war is not primarily about territorial conquests or material achievement. It is a battle, my friends, of cosmic proportions for the hearts and minds of human beings, you and I. And in this battle, neutrality is impossible. We need to choose what side we're on. All right. Uh, thank you very much, guys. I think that's um, all we can do today, except that we, we have um, a minute or two which I would like now uh, to uh, come before the Lord our God in prayer. Now, we haven't done this at the beginning uh, particularly, uh, but we are going to have a short uh, session of prayer for particularly the times, um, challenging times we live in, and also for understanding of, uh, of the Bible, the good news. Uh, of the Bible and what God wants us to do for these special times. Shall we just um, conclude today with a session of uh, brief prayers? Okay, loving Heavenly Father, Lord, again we come before your throne. We come before your throne because, number one, you are the king of the universe and you are over all things and we trust you. We've seen how through history your promises are sure. And you know the end from the beginning. You know the end from the beginning for every person here in our panel and also every listener. And listener, I'm talking to you particularly. Please, please, Lord, touch their hearts, touch their minds and, and just draw them closer to you that through this time we, we have no need to fear because perfect love casts out fear and you are perfect love. So I pray, Lord, that your, your hedge will be round each person. I pray, Lord, as we go through this time, these uncertain times, we can have such a firm connection with you, such a close walk with you, that nothing will draw us away and that we will choose you not only today but right through to the end of time. Mm-hmm. Please bless everyone listening at this moment and listener, especially you. Please, please give your heart to God and trust him you can. Father, I thank you for hearing our prayer. I thank you for answering our prayer. And I pray that we will only bring honor and glory and praise to you and you alone. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we would just like to thank you for all that you have done for us. Father, especially, we just um, at this time around the world, there's some terrible things going on. So, Father, we just ask that you please guide and direct our governments 
that you guide and direct and give strength and courage to all the medical people that are under stress at this time and all the other um, government agencies and all involved with what's going on. Father, it's a, it's a really tough time for, for all around the world. So we just ask that your Holy Spirit will just give peace to people and may they, we, all of us, uh, turn to you because without you there is no hope. So thank you, Father, for everything. Thank you for Jesus who came to this earth, who died on the cross for our sins. And we thank you that we all have the hope of his coming again, we pray in his precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Lord, I just want to say thank you today for our study. Daniel 11 is a very important chapter, as well as a very difficult chapter to interpret. But we have seen afresh that at the end of it all, the God of heaven, who knows the end from the beginning, will be victorious. And his will will be done in heaven and in earth, just as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, I want to pray for our listeners today. I want to pray that if they have not made a decision to follow the God who created them and who redeemed them and who signs the Sabbath, that they will see that you are calling them, Lord, to follow you, to be faithful so that you can be amongst the children of Moab, the children of Edom, the children of Ammon and the children of God all around the world who are right now as we are praying. Right now, people around the globe are making decisions to follow you. I pray that our listeners may see the importance that Jesus is right now ministering in heaven for them, but soon that ministry will be over. And we will either be amongst those who are saved or unfortunately amongst those who were told, depart from me, I never knew you. I pray, Lord, that each listener, each precious person, our panel, each of us will realise that we must be there on that day. We must be ready to meet you when you return in the clouds of heaven. May this lesson study today be a wake-up call to us to prepare daily and to look at our relationship with Jesus and say, Lord, what would you want me to do? Here am I. I'm willing to do it. We thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Almighty God, the creator and sustainer of all things, how wonderful it is to know you and to place ourselves under your wings, to hear from you encouraging messages, even through these challenging times when people are just um, uh, so depressed and people are so uh, confused with what's going on. We know, Lord, that all these things you foretold us, and we now we need to be courageous. We don't need to panic. We need to trust in you and to come closer to you. And please help us to do that today. As the Bible puts it, today if you hear the voice of the Lord, harden not your heart. And I pray that each one of us will do that in these uh, moments. My dear uh, friend, uh, listening to this program, uh, I pray that you'll uh, find God in your life uh, and follow him through these challenging times. I would like to apologize right now for um, some of the inconvenience uh, by uh, doing this program also via Zoom. There will be some um, interferences there. Uh, but this is how you know we can utilize technology today and we may need to do this 
in the next uh, you know <laughs> a few weeks because of uh, a situation we are in at the moment uh, but thank you very much for uh, tuning in with us today and may god bless you be with you and until next time keep walking in the footsteps of jesus to the panel all of you guys over the zoom there thank you very much for joining us today uh, may god bless you and have a wonderful day thank you thank you Thank you. Blessings.